Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. In today's episode, I talk with Trish McMillan, shelter dog specialist, dog behavior consultant, and certified professional dog trainer. We talk about how families with children can pick the great dog from an animal shelter, along with some other options. We also dive into some controversial topics, such as talking about the adopt-don't-shop concept, and even the idea of whether or not a forever home is a fair expectation for anyone. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Trish. I am so happy that you agreed to be a guest on the Pooch Parenting Podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I met you when you came out to our local shelter with Mike Shikashio to do an aggression and dogs workshop for two or three days. And I just have such a fond memory of an entire wall of stuffed dogs that we all brought. We all brought our our dummy dogs, so to speak. And so we had a wall of huskies and yellow and black labs. And you and Mike taught us some really fun strategies for just sort of how to cope, how to leash them, how to hold leashes. It was amazing. But it really, um, seeing you teach in person made me love you even more. And you're just so approachable and funny. Um, And I knew you'd be a perfect guest to talk about how families can choose good dogs from shelters. And so why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll dive in. Sure. My name is Trish McMillan. I've been involved in rescue and sheltering since the mid nineties. So I'm not going to math that, but it's been a while. And I started off in Vancouver as the volunteer, volunteer coordinator at Vancouver Animal Control. And uh, then I moved to San Francisco. I was really lucky to meet some amazing people in San Francisco. I volunteered at the San Francisco SPCA. I met Ian Dunbar and Kelly when Kelly was starting the Open Paw program. I helped train some volunteers for that. And I resisted jobs in sheltering because I really enjoyed being on the outside and criticizing people (laughs) rather than being one of the people being criticized. (laughs) So um, I was mostly involved in a volunteer way until I went to England and got a master's degree in animal behavior. I came back to Richmond, did my research at the Richmond SPCA, and got offered a job in New York City as the director of animal behavior at the Manhattan shelter. So I kind of went from many, many, many years of doing this as a volunteer to being right in the thick of it. And it turned out that that was a really good background because I had the hands-on skills with the dogs. I'd been training professionally for 10, 15 years by the time I started there. Um, And I trained horses for many years before I got into training dogs. And I had the sheltering mentality because I had sort of gone through my epiphany going from let's save them all to, well, let's save most of them. And 
then I had the master's degree. So I had the academic stuff on top of it. And it turned out that was a really great fit for working in sheltering. So I worked for the ASPCA for um, almost eight years in different capacities. I worked on the field team after I worked in the shelter. So I got to do dog fighting busts, hoarding stuff. That's where I learned a lot of the wrangling skills is ah, between, yes. those, between those two jobs. We had some very interesting dogs and you had to and I had fostered many dogs and I'd volunteered in many shelters and handled a lot of tricky dogs before that too. And in 2012, I left the ASPCA and formed my own company. So I run Macmillan Animal Behavior in North Carolina now. I'm back to being a volunteer at the shelters, but I also run a shelter dog behavior mentorship. So now I lecture and internationally on sheltering issues and as well as defensive handling and I consult with shelters and I come on podcasts and yak about shelter stuff so I'm thrilled to be here yakking about shelter stuff <laughs> well I love I love your vast experience both from the inside and outside the shelter I grew up volunteering at a shelter and then later worked there for a bit um, and so I got to see how dogs were evaluated to go up for adoption. And I helped out with that a little bit. And it, it was a tricky volunteer position to be in because I felt like the weight of the world was on our shoulders. But I would love to talk to you about, you know, you, you see this adoption profile that's written up. Is that gospel and how, what should families, should they just trust it at its surface? I like, I'm going to just give you an example. So a girlfriend of mine right now is looking to adopt a dog. She has two young kids. Um, and that's who I specialize in serving as families with children. And she has two young kids and she's been reading adoption profiles online through various rescues. And she sent me a profile of a dog who looked lovely. I mean, the dog looked Perfect. And it might be, it absolutely might be, but I had to say to her, listen, I'm not trying to be a buzzkill. The dog sounds absolutely perfect, but it might not be. And it might also behave differently once it gets home than it does where it is. So how do we help a family like her um, even dive in and make good choices? Well, there's a whole lot. That's about a six-week course. No. <laughs> but, just, <laughs> but just touching on some of the things, uh, you are entirely correct that it's really hard to assess a dog's behavior in a shelter setting. And I'm really relieved to see a lot of shelters get away from the sort of trigger stacking where you just have all the bad things happen to the dog in a row on one day by one person because you're going to see them at their worst. They're already in a shelter. They've been ripped away from their families. They're sleep deprived. They're stressed. And then we add stress on top of it. So I think the old way of doing assessments, you do get a lot of false positives for aggression. So I'm really relieved what I teach in my mentorship is what you were saying, get information from the per person who brought the dog in, whether they're an owner or a finder, get information from the people who feed the dogs, from the volunteers, and assess them in more real life situations. Put them out in the yard with other dogs. What kind of dogs do they like playing with? That'll help you make a good placement. Assess them with humans. And assessing with children is the hardest thing to do in the shelter. At our shelter in New York City, we had a veterinarian who very conveniently had a new baby about every two years. So there was 
<laughs> Thank you, Dr. Lander. And she didn't actually have a dog at home. So she had these kids with zero dog experience who could parade through the shelter. And we had glass doors. So there was no way, like the plexiglass doors. So there's no way that the kid could come in contact. But it was really cool to see the kids of varying sizes go past all of these dogs and see the, the dog's reactions. But in most shelters, you don't have Dr. Lander with her three children of varying sizes. And there's not a lot of people who will donate your child to say, <laughs> That's for let's, sure. see, let's see which dogs hate children. So reading the profile can be helpful. Those of us who have worked in shelters, we know the shorthand, sort of picky about her friends, only dog home. Those sorts of things are, are kind of red flags, requires time to warm up. And sometimes people will make up long stories of abuse and this poor dog and, you know, all they need is love, take them home and they'll be fine. I have a canine victim of abuse beside me right now who what, his owner is still in prison and this is a senior dog now. And he loves everybody, despite the fact that he was raised in a very cruel fashion. So I think we often see a dog who's fearful and we're like, oh, must have had a terrible life. And we blame the human, blame the previous owner when it may just be who that dog is. And so when I'm looking for a dog for a family with children, I really wish more people would hire me as a trainer to go in with them. It would really save them the money on the back end if they would pay up front for someone to go with them who really can read body language who can look at the shorthand in the adoption right up online, who can really search out that diamond in the rough. And there are some wonderful dogs in shelters. Uh, I've shared my life with many of them. So families with kids, the three things I look for, one, extreme, extreme sociability. And you want the dog who comes in and sort of says, hi adults, I'm gonna go say hi to these kids. So you want the dog who prefers kids to adults rather than the one who's going to bond with mom and then tell the kids to go away when they get close. So extreme, extreme sociability. We want wiggly, hi, 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 I love kids. Because you can tone down an overly enthusiastic dog, but a dog who is hiding under the chair in the meet and greet room and shaking when the kids come in, that's a lot harder stretch to make that dog social with kids. It's, I'm not saying it can't be done, but that's not the dog I would choose. The second thing I look for is a complete lack of resource guarding. You want a resource shower. My little uh, scruffy dog brings me stuff all the time. Look, I found a treasure. The other day she picked out just the right piece of hay from a pile of hay and brought it to me just like wiggling and waggling. Look at this treasure I found for you. So the dogs who, when you approach them while they're eating or while they've got a bone and they stiffen up and they give you a hard eye and like we as adults can read that and go, oh, he's not comfortable and we can walk away. Doesn't mean you can't place a dog who guards their stuff, but toddlers don't read that freeze. They don't see that hard eye. They will keep toddling up and stick their face in the bowl or try to pull the bone away or take the very precious piece of hay out of the dog's mouth. And my little dog would not mind. She brought it to you so you could have the piece of hay. She's part retriever. But I, I look for a dog who's a resource shower, a resource sharer, who brings you treasures, or at the very least is neutral. Like you are 
I'm not saying we should throw kids into the kitchen while the dog's eating and say, here, rummage around it as food. That is not how you get rid of resource guarding, by no, the way. That is not. Uh, but uh, you want a dog where it's safe if they do happen to wander up because dogs can find stuff anywhere and kids drop stuff all the time. They experiment the time. with Cheerios from the high chair. There's always, always, always going to be a sandwich in the hand. And if the dog steals the sandwich and then guards the sandwich and bites the kid when they try to take it back, that's a no-no. So that's two, no resource guarding. The third thing I look for is um, a dog with extreme handleability. You want a dog who just melts when you touch them, just, oh, I'm being scratched, I'm being hugged, I'm being kissed, and they just melt into a little puddle on the floor. Just human contact is everything to them. The dogs who have sensitive spots, don't touch them, be past the shoulder, don't touch their tail, don't touch their paws where they'll stiffen and growl and snap and bite. Like, I'm not saying you should be able to let your child ride the dog. That is never cool. We've all seen those pictures on Facebook. Those of you who are trainers and watching, I know our blood pressure goes up when we see the kid pulling on the cheek of the dog. But especially little kids, they don't know how to pet dogs gently. They have grabby little hands that sometimes hold tighter than we think they will. And we want a dog who's just going to wiggle and wag and lick and, and melt into a puddle when they're touched. So you want extreme, extreme handleability. So if I'm meeting a dog who's a shelter dog with a client who's got kids, those are the things that I'm going to really keep an eye out for. And if they've got two out of three, not good enough. <laughs> I want to see all three. And other than that, it doesn't matter the shape of the dog. I kind of look for not tiny, tiny dogs, especially if they're tiny, tiny kids. My friend had a tiny toy poodle and she, she took to visit her grandchildren and the two-year-old grabbed the dog by the top knot and picked it up. And that dog was never good with kids from then on. He was just scared, like, let me bite first, ask questions later. He's a six-pound dog. He can only take a tiny kid can pick him up by his top knot. So I don't like the really teeny, teeny dogs for teeny, teeny kids. They can fall on them. They can hurt them. If they step on them, they can really do some damage. So I like a dog who's big enough to handle what a kid might dish out. So sort of in the medium to larger size tends to be a little safer. Um, of course, if you've got a huge Great Dane who's doing laps around the yard and you've got your toddler who's just learning to stand, they're going to get knocked over, but they don't actually fall very far. The kids, <laughs> kids, fall, kids bounce pretty well. And I, so, you know, look for a size that you can handle. But the, the little teeny fragile dogs, I don't love for little teeny fragile kids either. I love everything that you've said so far. It It's so very logical that dogs really do show us when they are over the moon happy and that those are the ones we should be choosing um, and that it is okay to say no to the dogs that are available in your local shelter because just because you want to adopt a dog, that's fine, but it doesn't mean that you have to adopt one of the ones that's available today. I think that a lot of times people want a dog at this moment and then they're 
willing to make all kinds of compromises um, because they're in some sort of a rush. But at the end of the day, they need to realize that the next 15 years of their life is going to be shared with their children and this dog. And it takes time to build good relationships unless the dog is already a big, mushy, wonderful puddle of goodness that is easy yeah. to read, really. And, and they're out there. So I, I do look for dogs who have already lived with children successfully. I think the job of family dog is one of the hardest jobs in the world for a dog. There's a lot that's expected of them. They're giving they're given very little on-the-job training in most cases. They're just like, yeah. here you go. You're the family dog. Deal with it. So choosing one that's temperamentally suited to that job is awesome. And you may be able to ask some questions of the shelter and say, where did the dog come from? And with families breaking up, families moving, with all of the uncertainty that's happening these days, a lot of good dogs lose their home through no fault of their own. There are people who think, all shelter dogs are damaged goods. And certainly there are some challenging dogs in sheltering and rescue, but you may have a full history. I remember I was at one shelter in Australia helping them with their assessment procedure and they had a really long assessment. It took two people 30 minutes to do each dog. And when I got there, they were 15 days behind on their assessments because half of their staff was off for various reasons. Oh. And they pulled this Labrador out and she came into the assessment room, which is a dark, smelly, awful room in the back of the shelter, as they so often are. And this seven-year-old Labrador comes in. She's already spayed. She's lived with a family. Well, hang on. Let me describe the behavior first. She comes in. She flings herself on her back and melts into a puddle, just like, I've been in a kennel for 15 days. I have not been touched by a human. And... I don't know you, but I love every one of you. And she's wiggling and wagging and soliciting attention and saying, please, please, please touch me. And I kind of said, why are you going to poke her with a rubber hand and threaten her with a toddler doll and <laughs> bite her with a fake dog? And I said, can we see her history? So she was surrendered by a family with some enormous amount of children. I want to say at least five children. She had lived with other dogs she was already spayed, she was already vaccinated, and she had this wonderful history as she presented beautifully to a bunch of strangers in a really scary dark room after spending two weeks at the shelter. And I said, I kind of know everything I need to know about this dog already. I might want to take her out to the play yard, let her see another dog, sort of pet her, walk her by some people. But she was given up because her family was moving. She was not given up because she bit a kid in the face. She, why do we need to spend one people hour, two people half an hour poking and prodding when we see such a delightful dog? Like she could have been on the adoption floor 14 days ago and she could have been adopted 14 days ago and you could have saved yourself 50 bucks of staff time and money every day for all of this time and you could have collected an adoption fee then. Like this is, this is a lovely, lovely dog. So I... I think of her and I tell that story a lot when I'm trying to talk shelters into doing a more holistic assessment and taking because with that history really that's you can't get that kind of information from a stray dog she's already had success as a family dog so yeah I think I think 
shelters are changing and I really love to see shelters changing and I yeah. hope that shelter changed after I gave them the demo. <laughs> I hope so. I, I feel like a lot of families, I hear this a lot, that people are reluctant to admit that they choose a dog based on how it looks, that it's, it's just a certain style or color or pricked ears versus fold ears or their, or it reminds them of a dog from their childhood. Um, there's a lot of sentimentality that comes into it. Um, and obviously if you've got kids in your house, that's not the criteria that you should be using <laughs> to make a decision that's going to impact, you know, the next 15 years of your life. Do you have any advice for those families to kind of get them out of that impulse I don't, not impulse buying, but it kind of is that, oh, you're cute. You're the cutest one here. I need to choose you or I need to save you, you know? Yeah. And that, that's fine if you're living by yourself and if the dog has problems, you're willing to work through it. But I think when you have little people in your life, your first duty has to be to those little people. So if you grew up with a golden and you want really, really, really want a golden and the one golden retriever at your shelter is a nervous wreck and high-pitched shrieking voices send her into a into a puddle under the chair that's not the dog for you <laughs> and even if you like the look of her back away slowly this is why it's good to take a trainer with you because I will tell you to your face back away slowly this is not mm -hmm. the dog for you and I'd like to give people permission if there's a specific type of dog that you like if there's a look that you like it is fine to get dogs from places other than a shelter or a rescue. We've, we've been preaching adopt, don't shop for a long time. And I have some good news for you. In a lot of areas of North America and of Australia and of other countries I've been to, we're actually running out of shelter dogs. It's a wonderful problem to have. We have spayed and neutered to the point that the number of dogs coming in is exceeded by the number of people who want to adopt a dog. And especially during COVID, all the shelters emptied out. It's really hard to find a dog right now. And I'd like to give people permission, especially if you have little people in your life, especially if you're bent on this particular type of dog that you really liked as a child, it is okay to go and buy a dog. It's, I have had clients who have paid thousands of dollars for help with their dog session after session week after week month after month with me trying to make a square peg fit into a round hole when they've got a dog who just is not ready to be a pet and it's a ton of work and if you would rather spend that money on buying a dog from a breeder some of my clients have gone to breeders and gotten retired breeding dogs or retired show dogs I had one client who actually, she was a personal friend of mine with small children who ended up euthanizing the dog that I had kind of foisted on her as a foster when she was pregnant because this dog was extremely dog aggressive and she could walk her sort of barely with the gentle leader by herself. But as she became more pregnant and more large, <laughs> It was getting harder and she was picturing a dog fight happening over the stroller if a loose dog ran up and she made the decision to euthanize that dog and i said it is fine you have done your time with the shelter dogs her older dog was also very challenging she worked through things with him and he was pretty old when the kids came along so he was less of a threat 
but I, I gave her this advice to go to a breeder and she got a Labrador from a breeder who was, I think about a year old and she was undersized. Imagine that a Labrador who is too small for the show ring. How perfect is that as a family dog? Perfect. This is why a lot of us, the retrievers, you know, they've, they've got this job of running off, grabbing something really precious, bringing it back with a very soft mouth, not damaging it and bleh, spitting it out at our feet. Like that is a very cooperative kind of job to have. And that is why so many of the retrievers make really awesome family pets is they, they, a lot of them come with all of this wiring to be cooperative. So she had a wonderful time with this perfect little tiny lab and I've had a number of clients who've been able to get really nice dogs from breeders who aren't puppies like a lot of people are like I don't want to go to breed I don't want to deal with a puppy I want an adult dog with a full-size bladder and (laughs) (laughs) not the walnut-sized bladder that has to empty every 10 minutes and that is another option like getting a retired show dog or getting a dog I had another client who got a beautiful Labrador again family with three kids and she had adopted a she it's perfect it's it's right with your story she'd always had Shelties as a kid she loved Shelties she got this Sheltie mix she had to drive quite a way and this dog was terrified of everything and the first time I went over it was crated most of the time and he was he was barking at me the whole time just really afraid of strangers really didn't like the kids it already landed a couple of bites and I just looked at her and said, this, this is not a good match for your household. I could put a lot of work into this dog, but he's already bitten the kids. He's freaking out a lot of the day. And she ended up rehoming that dog with somebody who did agility, an adult family who wanted that sheltie quickness and smartness and didn't have kids. And they did a great job retraining this dog for agility. And they got a Labrador who had a cataract in one eye. And I don't know if they ever operated on it. The other eye worked fine. She was three years old. She had to be retired from the show ring because she she got this cataract. And that was exactly the dog that this family needed. And she was a friend to the kids as they grew up. And she went on camping trips. Like I asked the mom, like, what do you want to do with your dog? And she's like, I really want to take them camping and not worry. And she was able to get that. So there's lots of great places to get great dogs. So I, I am really pro shelter and I live in North Carolina where the shelters are still full of dogs. If you're willing to travel a few states away, I would be delighted to take you to some North Carolina shelters. (laughs) The other thing I look for when I'm looking for shelters, a lot of people are like, well, I only want to support a no-kill shelter. I don't want to go to a shelter that ever euthanizes dogs for anything. And I am here to tell you that some of the best dogs out there you will find in open admission large volume big city shelters where they do have to euthanize because guess what guess who they're going to euthanize it's the dogs who are lunging and barking and not having a good time in the shelter who may go on to not have a good time in a home whereas if i wanted to start the trish mcmillan no kill never not ever no euthanasia for behavior ever shelter and i had 10 kennels and i chose very carefully you know Year one, I might guess wrong once and have a dog who went to a home, hits social maturity, becomes very dog aggressive, comes back to my shelter. So now I've got one dog aggressive dog looking for a 
lesbian farmer with no pets and no Amazon Prime. <laughs> you know, people make up these ideas of this unicorn home where there will be no triggers. <laughs> so year one, I've got one dog that changed when he got older. Year two, I might have two more dogs. So now I've got three of my 10 kennels full of dangerous dogs, but I can't euthanize them because I'm a no-kill shelter and you can't ever euthanize for behavior. And by year 10, I have nine out of 10, and I've seen shelters like this, where nine out of 10 kennels are filled with dogs who are spinning and lunging and barking and self-injuring, but they're alive and they're waiting for that farmer to come over and have a perfect life for them. And I've got one kennel where I'm like taking in the nicest little fluffies I can. And, and um, so we think in our heads that we want to support the never, not ever, no kill shelter. But I will tell you that all ethical shelters euthanize for behavior. And if they don't, they tend to end up with a higher percentage of truly challenging dogs than that open city shelter that just has to take everything that comes in who who does apply a little more selection pressure to the dogs they put on the adoption floor and the further south you go in the united states the more dogs you tend to get and here in north carolina we still have lots of lovely lovely dogs in the shelters who are super friendly and come from dogs who have already succeeded as family pets whereas the further north you go in uh, in the United States and in, in a lot of Canada, we have spayed and neutered all the family pets. So the people breeding dogs are not necessarily the people with the nice dogs. So the puppies coming out of them are a little more challenging. So it may be worth that road trip. I am happy to give anybody a tour of North Carolina shelters. But if you're waiting for that perfect dog to come into your shelter and you live in an area where shelter dogs are scarce already, then you may have to wait a while. It'll happen. There will be that family who's divorcing and, and their perfect family dog has nowhere to go, but it, they may not be there on the first visit. So mm -hmm. be patient and look for those three characteristics I ta talked about. Right. I Yes. And I'm going to list those on our show notes page on, <laughs> on the website. I want to go back briefly. I don't I don't want to get us into trouble and start setting ourselves up to get hate messages, but I want, I think that between the two of us, we can handle it. And I know that other people will also support us. I, I just interviewed Kim Brophy and told her what we were going to talk about. And she was really happy. Um, and I know Mike, of course, would also support us as well. So we can spread the the wrath, but I want to go back to the adopt, don't shop mantra for a second, because I think that, I think there's a lot of pressure with that statement and a lot of guilt and therefore a lot of judgment. And what I see sometimes is that people who believe adopt, don't shop is the only way to go often feel like they are good people and people who buy dogs from breeders are bad people uh, and vice versa, you know, whatever, that there's just a lot of judging to go around. You even mentioned that in the very beginning when you talked about your, your career changes of wanting to be the judger and not be the judged. Um, I just, I just want to touch on it for a second because I think 
that if you can adopt a dog and that's what you choose to do and you have options of the dogs that are extremely social and sharing and, and love physical contact, then there is no reason not to. I mean, go for it, right? That's wonderful. But I also think that there are some families that have needs that whatever they may be, may not be findable. I don't know if that's a word, but findable in a shelter or rescue. And they also have every right to support a good, strong breeding program somewhere that looks at not just genetics and physical characteristics, but also temperament that mm -hmm. these dogs are being bred to behave in a family appropriate way. And that's okay. And that you're not a bad person if you get a dog from a breeder. Yeah, absolutely. Adopt or shop, whatever suits you best. And it depends on the area you're in. And it was really funny. I did a lot of adoptions in New York City where there are weight requirements in a lot of the apartments and people would walk in and they say where do you keep your yorkie puppies i would like to go to the bin of yorkie puppies and select <laughs> one from among the thousands of yorkie puppies you doubtless have because that's what i want for my apartment and i would say yeah we had a yorkie last year he was 15 and he had no teeth and he was terrified of children but you're not going to be able to find a Yorkie puppy in most shelters, let alone a hypoallergenic, quote unquote, a non-shedding breed of any type. Like sometimes we will get a poodle and it will be 10 years old and have Cushing's that require a lot of medical care. Or it will be a younger poodle that's very hyper. And, you know, if you touch him in a certain way, you get snappy. So if you really, if you have weight requirements for your condo board and you have a kid with allergies and you can't get a dog who sheds, you're probably not going to. You can try breed rescue, and a tip for breed rescue fans is foster for them. Because if you fill out an adoption form, which will be 10 pages long and want you know your blood type and your firstborn child, on in some cases they're really good at saying no, especially the small breeds where they have 200 applications for each dog, but they always need foster homes. And if you've got, if you've got a home with kids, that is fantastic for getting to know these dogs, for getting them used to kids. And they will often adopt to you if you've been fostering for them for a while. And the other advantage to fostering is you can wait until the perfect dog comes along. And I, I lost count of how many fosters I had around a hundred. And that was a while ago. And I love them all, and a piece of me wants to keep all of them. But I live on a farm right now. I have 18 animals. So if I wanted to add a 19th animal, I would have to ask all other 18, do you like this dog? So the last dog I brought home, she was also a foster. I pulled her for my rescue group. And I thought, you know, if she fits in, I'll keep her. But I don't know if she'll fit in because I've got all of these other animals. And I took her to the other dogs and the other dogs, the ones I have right now are all very dog friendly. And they're like, yes, let's keep her. She's lovely. I took her to the cats and the cat said, and she went, oh my God, I can't chase that. It's hissing. And I'm like, good enough. We'll take that. You're not going to torment the cats. She is still trying to make friends with my rema remaining cat. It's unrequited, but she's not a danger. I took her to the chicken. She's like, hi, 
Mrs. Chickens, I love you. And the chickens were like, well, I guess you can stay. And I took her to the goats and the horses. She went, you're terrifying. And like, that is the correct response to a hoofed animal who is much bigger than you are. And, you know, everybody, I kind of use the survivor island technique. Like everybody, <laughs> everybody here must want to keep you on the island. And if one of them says, no, if one of my dogs said, this dog's super annoying. I've And I've had those fosters where even if one of my dogs doesn't get along with them, like I am not doing crate and rotate ever again in my life if I can help it. And this is a good policy. So if you want to get the small hypoallergenic dog, try fostering for breed rescue and they will usually give their foster homes priority even if you aren't perfect. But it's it's hard and it's no shame at all to go and buy a dog. And even the ASPCA website has a page on how to find a responsible breeder. Like we are, we are acknowledging that we are running out of dogs and there are families that have certain needs and it's fine. You have my blessing. There will be people who are judgy, but um, send them to me and I'll tell them off for you. I agree. <laughs> I, I, you and I can do that as a team. I, I really just want families to, feel like their kids and dogs can live together in harmony, you know, that, yeah. um, that it is really hard. And, you know, some, some families may have the less than perfect dog and then they adopt or have a child and the dog has problems. And in that case, you know, we need to change the environment and help that dog to feel safe. And, and I can help them with that piece of it. But when you're adding a new dog to the family, you you have the privilege of making choices to set yourself up to succeed. And I love the advice that you gave. I think it's really spot on. I it's so hard for people who want to be a saver. I I am a <laughs> saver myself. I rescued a horse. I adopted one of my children. <laughs> I, uh, one of my dogs is a foster fail. She had a broken leg at the shelter and I fostered her and thought she was perfect. And now wait, that's, that's, out, a foster, that's a foster win, by the well, way. Well, that's true. A foster we're not, win. We're not going to call it failing if you, the she dog won. gets home. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. No, that's actually a good point. She, she won. I questioned at the end of the day, whether or not I won because she turned out to be less perfect than I thought. Mm -hmm. And I, that's one of the reasons I'm a certified professional dog trainer today that, you know, as most of us begin, because there's that one dog who really challenges us to be better, you know, to avoid repeating mistakes that we may have made in the past. And, and that's why I have you here today. Um, to, to, you're so generous to give your time is to help families be a setup for the right choices as they can be. Well, I think about my family dog when I was a kid, and that dog went everywhere with me. We'd go for bike rides, and he'd run along the side of the road. We'd go to the stables. He'd run along the side of the horse. And, you know, adolescence is a really tough time, and he was there for me, and I could put my arm around him and tell him anything. And I think about clients I've had where the dog has to be behind a baby gate, and the kid has to yell down from upstairs, is Fluffy away? Can I come down now? And I think, you know, that's not what a pet should be for a child. They shouldn't be something that should be in the same category as knives where you tiptoe around and you keep them in the drawer and maybe under supervision, you can occasionally look at a knife, but don't touch it. 
they should be our friends. We get dogs to be part of our family and they can be so wonderful and healing for children who are going through a rough time if you have the right dog or they can add stress to everybody's life. And I would argue it's stressful for a dog to live in a house like the Sheltie mix I told you about where there were three little rambunctious boys running around bringing friends home and that dog had to be put away and he would be in his crate in the other room screaming the whole time he heard strangers voices in his home like that's not fun for anybody so you know another phrase that I would love to see disappear from the sheltering lexicon is the concept of forever homes like we're we take the dog from the shelter and they put the little Polaroid up on the wall. I say, look, Fluffy's gone to his forever home and here's the family. And sometimes you take them home and you find out things. Like we talked about using the rubber hand to check for resource guarding. And one reason we don't do that anymore is half of the dogs who growl and snap at the hand in the shelter will never do anything like that in the home. But around 20% of the dogs who don't do anything around food in the shelter will become protective of their stuff in a home. And that's been replicated in a couple of studies now. So you may take Fluffy home and realize, oh, when he's finished dinner, he's still guarding the whole kitchen for hours after dinner time and maybe before dinner time. And I've got a toddler who occasionally toddles into the kitchen as they do. This is not the right dog for me. He may not, he may be okay in a home where that's not a big deal. He may be okay in an adults only home he may be too dangerous to adopt out depending on what he does when he's guarding his food but don't feel guilty about taking the dog back and if the shelter offers foster to adopt and you have that option that's not a bad way to take the dog home because then you can when you bring the dog back if they're not a match for you you can say hey fluffy is perfectly house trained even when we got stuck in traffic and he was alone for nine hours no accidents so you can tell the shelter things that will help them place that dog like actual the best predictor of behavior in a future home is behavior in a past home and that's something we often don't have with stray random dogs who come in so even if you take them back that's that's valuable information for them and they may be judgmental and awful but you need to do what's right for your family and it's it's fine to take the dog back if they're not a match and foster to adopt is a great way to to do that without feeling guilty but i i we've got to stop with the forever home stuff like i was married once and i stood up in front of god and everybody and said till death do us part and i thought that was true at the time yeah and and things changed and you know we've all had things that we thought were going to work out in our lives that did not and you know, sad as it was to end the marriage, it was the right thing for both of us. And sad as it is to take a shelter dog back, you, especially with kids, your kids have got to come first. You've got to Mm -hmm. keep those little ones safe. And we want them to grow up loving dogs. We don't want them to grow up terrified of dogs. So give them the opportunity to have that wonderful relationship that many of us remember from our own childhoods. Oh, I have warm fuzzies now. I feel so good. I <laughs> I think that parents are so used to feeling judged all the time that this feels hopeful and it feels permissive to make choices and realize sometimes we don't make the best choices and it's not our fault. We do the best with the information we have and we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes we have to learn that 
through experience. Yeah. And, you know, if you buy a dog from a responsible breeder, and I would definitely read the ASPCA page on how to find a responsible breeder and listen to the Functional Dog Podcast. They've got some amazing breeders. Good podcast. Oh my God. Really great. And if you have a great breeder, they will always take their dog back. So if you brought home your Doberman as a baby and you did a great job raising them and then you you had a baby of your own and the Doberman's like, not so much enjoying this. I would like the small person to go away and maybe displaying some concerning behaviors. Your breeder will always take that dog back. So you've got a safe place for the dog to go if your life changes or if your marriage breaks up and you have to move into an apartment with a 20 pound weight limit. You know, you the Doberman will never end up in a shelter because you've got a good breeder who will always take them back. So that's a little bit of security. If you buy the dog off the internet and meet somebody in a Walmart parking lot and you've never seen the farm and you've never seen the mom and you've never seen the dad, those guys tend to not take the dogs back if they're not a match. But a good breeder can be a really great friend. I My first dog was from a breeder, my first dog as an adult, because I went to the shelter as a student. I was finishing up my first degree. I had a couple more months of school. My roommate said, yeah, bring a dog home. We'll help. We love dogs. Ironically, one of them was the agility person who took the shelter. The Sheltie later on in life <laughs> found that out incidentally uh, years later. But I went. I called up the shelter and said, what do I need to, to bring in to adopt a dog? I'm ready to get a dog. I've got a job on a horse farm for the summer. It's going to be awesome. But they didn't even allow me to get any of that out because I said, I'm a student. And they said, no dog for you and hung up on me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess I won't go in if I'm not good enough for a shelter dog. And I really wish shelters would be less judgmental. I really wish they would treat people as individuals because I have a friend with no yard who was turned down by tons of rescues. And she found an oops litter in her area. And that dog has the best life because he has to be walked on leash he's got great leash manners like there and i was not your average student i was ready i was an animal crazy kid who had 10 years of horse training experience at that point and i was i had a job in a country where i could have a dog it would have been a great life for a shelter dog but instead, I spent the summer dogless on the farm. I moved to British Columbia and I went to, I didn't even go to a shelter in British Columbia. I'm like, that was such, that left such a bad taste in my mouth that I went to a breeder and I wanted a Dalmatian because I wanted a dog who could keep up with my horse, which is the only reason to get a Dalmatian. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're bred for. Is I, was, I was bitten in the face by a Dalmatian when I was a child. Yeah, yeah they, the the temperament has changed since yes. the early 90s when I got mine. Yes. And I, I blame Disney for some of that. But oh, yeah. I, I really lucked into an awesome breeder. I didn't know anything about breeding. And we are still in touch. That was 30 years ago. And she's a Facebook friend now. <laughs> and I got an amazing Dalmatian. And she did obedience. She did agility. She did therapy dog work. She lived in two countries with me. She lived in many different houses and she died of old age in my arms at age 13. 
And I couldn't help thinking that could have been a shelter dog's life if that person had just had a conversation with me rather than saying, student, no, and hanging up on me. So I did actually end up feeling guilty because the Disney movies came out shortly after I got the Dalmatian. And when I took my puppy in for shots, the vet said, oh, yeah, the the shelters are euthanizing Dalmatians now. I guess it wasn't puppy shots. It was a few years later because I think it was 94 that the movie came out and the shelters got flooded with Dalmatians because they need to run 50 miles a day with their horse. That's 50. (laughs) Like I had to get a mountain bike to exercise this dog um which is fine i like mountain biking i like riding horses i had the right lifestyle for that dog but people get them for a family with kids where they're going to get a walk around the block tied to the stroller once a day and that's not enough and when i found out the shelters were euthanizing my breed of dog i started volunteering and started working with dalmatian rescue and the rest is history but yeah if if i had gotten a sheltered dog and they had been nice to me I would have had many more years of working with shelter dogs yeah I we need to stop judging and start looking at everybody at their at where they're at you know everybody's got merit and some people shouldn't have a dog and that's okay too yeah yeah but you can have you can have a conversation you know like and one thing that we tend to do in the shelter world is We tend to assume that all of the dogs are dangerous until proven otherwise. And I'm sure those of you listening to this who've been scouring shelter websites for a dog for your home with toddlers, you will see that it's age eight and up, age teen and up, age no kids at all. And there's a lot of really cautious behavior because we don't know these dogs. And because the population of dogs is getting more challenging in some areas of the world, so and because nobody will give us their children to bounce these dogs off of and see which ones see which ones they like and which ones they bite so it yeah. it is hard to tell but i always look for dogs who have already lived in a home because often you do have that history and you can right talk talk to the people who work in the shelters talk to the people cleaning the kennels not just the people at the front desk and just like hey which one's mm-hmm. your favorite which one pulls yeah. towards children in a friendly way when you're out walking them like Right. These are the people who know the dogs the best. So that's really, yeah, that's really good advice. I would say that and, you know, consult a a trainer or behavior consultant, even more than a trainer, a behavior consultant before you make the choice to, to even identify what type of dog. And when I say type, I mean like a big, broad grouping, kind of like how Kim groups dogs in her book, Meet Your Dog, where she has 10 big, broad categories and then describes some behavior characteristics that are common among those. Because you can look at those and say, oh my gosh, I would never want that. That dog sounds awful. (laughs) And And then that makes your life so much easier because when you see one of those in the kennels, you're like, nope, I know that's not gonna work for me. Right. I just find it. And there are dogs from every category of dog who could be suitable for a family home. Like I have a pit bull from a dog fighting bust. He should be dog aggressive and he is not. He would have sucked at his original job. So there will be washouts (laughs) from all of these fields. The the Doberman rescue I worked with would not adopt two people with, with children under, I think, six. 
and one of the Dobermans I got from him, it was a real shame that he didn't go to a home with kids. I, I ended up certifying him as a therapy dog because he was so gentle with little people. Like he was one of those, this is not typical for a Doberman either. And maybe he had been raised with small children. He was found as a stray, so nobody knows. But when he saw a little person, he would get all soft and wiggly and be like, I must go and smell the foot of the baby being held by your friend. And it's a shame that he was not allowed to live in a home with kids. I felt terrible that I had no children for him. And, you know, they're probably somebody got knocked over by a Doberman at one point. And a lot of the rules you see in rescue are these exceptions that happened so one kid got knocked over one doberman got returned rather than saying well we know more about this doberman and we'll find him an appropriate home next time they say no doberman will ever go to a home with kids again which is not the right answer because they're all individuals and he might be fostered in a home with kids and do fine with kids so i i would argue i would push back against that a little bit i would not say that whole vast categories of dogs and as a pit bull and doberman owner i'm particularly um i'm particularly sensitive to stereotyping and i've certainly i've lived with a pit bull who would have absolutely hurt another dog if he'd gotten near one but right that's not all of them i i live with the biggest marshmallow pit bull ever right now so really look at the individual personality look at the individual animal rather than the package that it comes in and there mm -hmm. are plenty of pities out there who are wonderful with children who are super gentle who have that social side right who have that squishy wiggly please touch me in any way possible that's what my guy is like it's just a human i don't know has their hands on me i'm going to melt into a puddle on the floor like that that degree of sociability is is wonderful that's really good. Yeah. The individual, you really, that's at the end of the day, it's the dog that's in front of you. And would that dog be suitable? And then hopefully you can try it and find out, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can test drive it. And please don't feel guilty if, if you don't find what you need. That's telling us that we are doing the right thing in our shelters. We have already adopted out all of the dogs. If it's hard to find a dog in your area, that's great, you know? kudos to the shelter and it's fine to get a dog from elsewhere or to take a trip down south in the summertime and uh i'm <laughs> seeing you in north carolina i'm in north great. carolina and i'll find you an awesome north carolina shelter dog because we still have them here we still have too many dogs here well that sounds great that seems like a great place to end it where can people find you trish if you can spell my name you can find me my website is trishmcmillan.com and you can book me for Zoom consults. If you'd like to just talk about shelter dogs, if you are in my area, you can certainly book me to go with you to the shelter and help you find a dog. And I love doing that. And not enough people do it. I get way more calls from people who are like, wow, I did it. I've got this problem at home now. Please help. Really, let's, let's not get the problem in the home to start with, because there are lots of awesome dogs out there at least in my areas. Um, so yeah, trishmcmillan.com. If you'd like to see my ridiculous pit bull, he has his own face page, Facebook page called Pibbling with Theodore that has way more likes than my business page because he's super, <laughs> he's super naughty and I post all the naughty things he's he does. wonderful. <laughs> People love a trainer with a bad dog. I think it, I think it humanizes us to them. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're human. Mine finally stopped whining and he finally fell asleep. So I'm right there with you on that. There you go. All right. Well, thank you, Trish. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for inviting me. Always happy to talk dogs. Thank you. Please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. If you're looking for ongoing support for your family with dogs, be sure to get on the waiting list for my Thriving Parents with Kids and Dogs membership at www.safekidsanddogs.com. And don't forget to follow Pooch Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.